Have you ever had that feeling when you realize that a long-held conviction just may not be the way the world is? Are there lessons we could learn from the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians that might teach us something about justice and hospitality? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. The podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. You can find us at toddlittleton.net, thepastortheologian.net, thepastortheologian.com. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and you could use the native iOS app, or I use Outcast. Just discovered today, probably been in the Google Play uh, library for, well, since last year when I submitted and I learned today when a friend was wondering, is it in uh, uh, Google Play's podcast library? Well, guess what? Today I found out it sure is. So you can subscribe there for you who use Android devices. Today on the podcast, I have uh, invited my friend Jimmy Doyle to come on. Now, Jimmy Doyle is not a household name. It's not Pete Enns. It's not someone that you would readily recognize. But this is a friend I've known for about 20 years. Uh, first online and then offline, and he has an interesting uh, take on, or interesting perspective, I should say, on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and he comes at it from, well, I, I just think you should listen to the podcast. I'm pretty sure that you'll pick up that along the way, we try to draw some parallels, that is, the way that that we could think about our own lives, our own experiences, relationships, and how maybe lessons from these very large, often in the news events might help us think more faithfully about how we live in the way of Jesus. So uh, here's my conversation with my friend Jimmy Doyle. There'll be more on the backside. Hello. Today on the podcast, I'm glad to have my friend Jimmy Doyle. Uh, Jimmy and I uh, actually met through a mutual friend. That's probably been near coming up on twenty years ago, probably. and um, he was he was a, a partner in crime on a friend's uh, a blog back when those were really making a, a, an entry, and um, hung out a few times. Uh, and I thought, and there's some things that. Uh, are, you know, Jimmy's interested in and I thought might be uh, helpful to those of you who listen. So, Jimmy, I'm glad to have you on the podcast today. Man, it's great to be here. Honor that you're, it's an honor that you asked. <laughs> well, you know, because I've known you, you know, maybe coming up you know, online, offline for that, that long won't, won't mean really much to, you know, anybody outside of maybe the Oklahoma City Metro and circles you've run in there and in Tulsa. So, won't you tell us a little bit about Jimmy? And, you know, uh, what you've done, what you like to do, what you're involved in now, and, and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, well, probably, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a Reformed church worker, I guess, in some sense. Uh, I had one of those high school experiences where I came to Jesus and uh, really wanted other people to come to know Jesus. And out of that, became a youth pastor, worked in, as, in youth ministry for about 10 years. Uh, 10 or 12 years. And then uh, in 1999, 2000, 
there was kind of this, it seems like there was this movement of people who had a lot of questions about church as it was. And I was part of that, you know, caught in that, I guess. And um, felt like it was time for me to step out of professional church work. Uh, immediately got a job doing two things, a job that I loved in terms of, I felt like it was fulfilling the call. Uh, and that was uh, teaching school uh, a couple of years in junior high and then uh, eight years teaching um, in high school. Uh, paid the bills by uh, doing uh, contract gra- uh, website development, basically for some graphic designer friends of mine. Uh, during that period of time is when me and Mark Riddle and some other guys, Andy Mullins and Steven Zedler, had a blog called Liquid Thinking. We were thinking out loud about the questions that we had regarding spirituality and what it meant to follow Jesus and what it meant to be the church. And uh, really, I would say that since about that 2000 time when that started, I would say, you know, if I was going to describe somebody, I'm somebody who's still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, that's just really uh, the bottom line with that. But in that, I have several interests. Uh, I'm one of those guys that's kind of a Bible nerd. I like to get into uh, scripture uh, more than a theologian, probably. Like I'm a, I, I, I want to understand scripture as much as I can from a historical and a spiritual perspective. Um, in recent uh, years, I've kind of come back around to an old passion of mine that even goes back to my teenage years, and that's the Middle East. And so I've had opportunities to go to the Holy Land. I've had opportunities to uh, go to Jordan and engage things there and also develop relationships with people from the Middle East here. And that's kind of where my heart has been lately. Uh, so that's, I don't know. Good. I have a wife and three kids and I love them and they're fantastic. I should have said that all. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you know, save the best for last. That's what we yeah, do. Right. You know, um, and, and that really kind of is the thing that uh, I wanted to chat with you about, you know, um, as I told you kind of in the lead up that, that one of the things that's, that's really um, been interesting is to watch what's happening between um, I'm going to say geopolitically between the United States and our relationship with Israel, which has brought into full focus uh, uh, more of the greater dynamics that are actually occurring in the Middle East. And so most of us get our news from, you know, um, the early nineties and, 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 and Iraq and those events. And then, and then the, you know, that kind of um, gave some cover, if you will, for really some of the ongoing developing things that have always really been present in Israel and among Israelis and the Palestinians. And so now that you get the light and heat, if you will, off of what's going on in Iraq, and, and even though Iran's bubbling a little bit, Syria's calmed down, kind of our attention has come back to um, what's going on, you know, centrally in, in, in and around Israel, because we've had this um, uh, longstanding connection with Israel as a country. And my growing up, uh, and the way to view the world that was given to me uh, in the church I grew up in, um, Israel carried this significantly prominent role. Right. And then to read and learn about some of the tactics and behaviors um, in the conflicts have been a bit unsettling to go, no, 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 we're we're supposed to view Israel in this particular perspective and surely these kinds of things don't go on. And then, you know, you peel back a little bit more and you find that there's just conflict on both sides. Uh, 
and you've got these external actors contributing to what's going on, sometimes not even understanding all the dynamics in the Middle East. Yeah. And when I, you know, I've seen you post uh, some things about that, that, that region, and I know you've traveled there. I thought, well, maybe someone who's been there uh, um, could help us. Someone who, uh, who who's traveled and made friends and, and lifelong friends uh, could could maybe unravel some of that, or at least help us think differently about uh, how to hold our opinions and perspectives, maybe a little more carefully. Yeah, or you know, I think for me, what I would like to do is challenge people to rethink. Uh, challenge Americans to rethink how they think about the Israel, uh, really Israeli-Palestinian conflict at this point. Just like you, when I was growing up as a young Christian, it was just a given that we were going to support Israel. That was uh, that post-World War II creation of Israel. And American Christians, I think, have always had, you know, I've always had a connection to Israel. We actually, I think, have thought of ourselves as a second Israel. Like if you go back to even the Puritans and the founding of our country and kind of the lingo, that manifest destiny, I think a lot of American Christians see that kind of, that we're somehow an extension of that. And then with World War II taking place and the Holocaust, which the Western world world, uh, bore the responsibility for, uh, American Christians, Western Christians bore the responsibility for, uh, I think there's also with that religious theological tie, also kind of this responsibility tie of we want to make things right for the Jews that we've persecuted for so long. And now we've done this horrendous thing and we've seen that side. So, you know, growing up in the eighties and watching things on television and in the late eighties, the first intifada taking place, you know, my image of Yasser Arafat, if I saw him during that period of time on the news my first thought was, this is a terrorist. And if I saw people throwing stones at Israelis, I thought terrorism because Israel, were, they were the people that were on their side. They're the ones who were right and good in the Middle East. And, you know, so I would have described myself as a, as a Christian Zionist. I took classes in the Middle East in college and tried to defend Israel's position. And for the first time in college, I met Palestinians who were trying to tell me about the realities of what they were experiencing and I didn't want to believe them. I didn't believe them. I mean, I was just point blank and said, I don't think you're telling me the truth. Um, and the reality is, is I was speaking out of ignorance. I really didn't know other than just what I'd seen on TV and people had told me in churches. I hadn't been to the Holy Land. Um, and back in 2013, after being kind of a, a book student mm-hmm. of the Middle East, I had my first chance to go and um I was invited to go and be a part of a conference uh, that's put on by the Bethlehem Bible College, which is uh, a group of evangelical Palestinian Christians. And they invite Christians specifically from the United States, but all over the world to come and, and be with them and hear their story. And, and to be honest, I wasn't really thrilled about that. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm going to go to the Holy Land. I don't want to spend five days at a conference. I want to go, you know, travel and so I extended my trip. I stayed beyond the group because I wanted to make sure I had that chance to go and do those things. But those five days with Palestinian Christians, um, and it wasn't just Christians, it was Muslims too. It threw me, uh, it was a shock to my system in the mm. best ways possible. And I already had some notion 
for about 10 years before I went, I was beginning to be aware that what those Palestinians had told me in, in college, they weren't making it up, that there was uh, oppression and occupation. I also, in my reading of scripture, the reality that the prophets were highly critical of Israel as a nation. Jesus was highly critical of Israel as a nation. And that's not anti-Semitic. It wasn't anti-Israel. It was actually born out of a great love for Israel to be faithful to the calling that God had. And so I'd already kind of come to this place where, you know, we can critique things and we should be critiquing things. But when I went on this trip, uh, I saw things firsthand. I saw the wall. When you see that wall cutting through mm-hmm. uh, Bethlehem and through the West Bank uh, and finding out that it's not on the line, Israel take, has taken more land than what they are supposed to have. Um, when you see that, it's, it's, it reminded me of going to the McAllister State Penitentiary here in Oklahoma, the state pen. Uh, I grew up near there. When you go in through that wall into Bethlehem with the guard towers and the whole thing, it feels like entering a, a penitentiary. Mm. Uh, I was also, we had a chance to go to uh, Hebron, which is where Abraham lived and uh, where the Ibrahimi Mosque is, along with the synagogue. They're right next to each other. And it's, it's the place that both Jews and Muslims, it's where the patriarchs are buried. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob it's where King David ruled for a period of time before he ruled from Jerusalem. It is a highly divided city with thousands of Muslim Palestinians and about 400 to 500 Jewish settlers who are protected by about 5,000 Israeli soldiers. And this is in the West Bank. So internationally, it's considered like an illegal settlement. Israel is not mm-hmm. supposed to have these settlements. So it's highly tense. There's been massacres on both sides. One as recently as the 90s when an Israeli doctor, uh, an American doctor who, be, who went to be a settler, uh, attacked Muslims as they were in the mosque, uh, opened fire, shot like a hundred of them. Going to this town, um, you know, I was telling you the other day that, so I had this kid who's trying to sell me this trinket, uh, you know, to wear on my wrist that's something about Hebron and Palestine, and we're going into the Jewish part, the Jewish settlement, and this kid keeps trying to sell me this thing. And I'm like, la, la, no, no, no. And, and I'm coming up on this Israeli soldier who looks like he's about 18, showing my passport so I can go through this checkpoint because the Palestinians can't go through there. And he keeps telling the boy, no, no, no. The boy's ignoring him. And finally, this soldier raises his rifle, you know, it's like it's a, like an M16, get back. And the kid's like joking, okay, okay. And it was just this moment I could touch both of them. Mm. And it was this normal day for them and not a normal day for an American, you know, from Oklahoma to see an 18-year-old raises. And it, I mean, every, everything there is locked and loaded and ready to go. And you think this is such a tense town and any little thing could happen. Uh, and then we went into the Jewish settlement area. And this is some of the most right-wing, you know, most Israelis are not right-wing. But those who are in settlements, a lot of them really are. And you see this kind of hate speech towards the Palestinians. And this is a former Palestinian area. Everything's boarded up. Palestinians still own this place, but they can't use it. Um, It's locked up on the backside of this marketplace. It looks barren and deserted and chained up. And then in Hebrew, there's like this spray paint that says gas the Arabs. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I mean, those are, and, and the whole time that we're there at the settlement, Settlers came out and they started taking their iPads and their phones and videotaping us. 
And we're a group that's being led through by a UN group, just being kind of told about the situation. And in the newspapers the next day, our group, there's pictures of our groups, and it's like anti-Semitic group visits Hebron, you know. And so, you know, in one day, I'm getting this picture of some of that tension. And the, and the day that we left Bethlehem, we're in this fantastic, fabulous palace hotel in Bethlehem. And I'm about to walk out the front door, and all of a sudden, the hotel staff is closing all the doors. They're like, no, 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 go. You have to go out the, the back way because we're going to go eat lunch before we left on this trip to Hebron. And I was like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, it's like, bam, bam. And you hear like machine gun fire. And I'm talking, it's, it's stuff that's happening, you know, uh, I don't know, 40 yards, 30 yards away from where I'm at. Tear gas and the whole thing. So I go out the back and I've got pictures where I'm taking pictures of this altercation between the IDF and Palestinians in Bethlehem. And I'm looking around at locals trying to figure out how dangerous is this place that I'm at. But you can tell, again, it's, you know what it is? It's Friday. It's, it's a day that this happens. And the IDF comes in and they shoot rubber bullets and tear gas goes off. But, but the hard part about the normalcy of it, too, is that day in the West Bank, five Palestinians died mm-hmm. um, in the violence. And so one day on this trip at this conference, I'm just kind of shaken by all of this. It's not as simple because here I am with these Palestinian Christians and Palestinian Muslims, and I'm asking them, what do you want? And they say, we want peace. We hate this. And they're saying, we want one state. We want just Israel. We don't want two states because we will never be at peace. We'll be Israelis. Let us be Israelis and just give us rights, which I thought previously, you know, especially back towards the 80s and in the 90s, all the Palestinians want is to wipe out Israel. Uh, I've personally never met a Palestinian who has said that to me. And I've taken several of these trips, spent most of my time with Palestinians. And I don't know, that's kind of a, that first trip was a wake up that it's not as simple as I I would like. And then the second half of the trip, me and a friend stayed with an Israeli uh, who was very friendly and very nice and very gracious to us. But his feelings towards the Palestinians were very uh, violent. Um, you know, and that's not all, that's not, certainly not the case with all Israelis. But in my mind, in my past, I had thought the Palestinians are ones who want to be violent and the Israelis just want peace. But the truth is, is they all want peace and they all come out of these violent histories. There's a payback process. And uh, I don't know, it's all very difficult. Yeah, I wonder if um, if we could pick up on a couple of things before going going forward, because, you know, <clears throat> you were trying to. Um, convey the uh, wrenching uh, loose of an old uh, way of kind of viewing things through the lens of this trip. And you made this comment. You said, you said, you know, um, the United States has in its history this idea that it is kind of a new Israel. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, William Tame wrote, uh, Aaron in the wilderness uh, in the late 1600s, and uh, he he borrows that imagery. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and it is it is it's almost like discovering uh, that what you've been told uh, in church that America is a Christian nation, right, is born to be actually not altogether an accurate retelling of our history. Right. Such that 
when someone comes to grapple with that, it's it's pretty hard to let go of because oh. because it's it's just been it's in the vocabulary, it's the rhetoric, it's it's the way we moralize our country. It's it's kind of this vision that's it's cast. like finding out your dad or your grandfather committed adultery or did some kind of crime, right? Right. It's right. Like, oh, this person yes. I thought was so great. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I and I think that that you know you, you folks who are listening, you know try to grasp the depth of what it would mean to have this very, very um, solid conviction that the world ought to be viewed this way. And then, and then to have experience that counters that, that says, that's really not that way. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's uh, um, something that, that really we need to take into trying to cipher what's really going on when we get news from left and right, because it, that's the way we get it. And so, you know, algorithms and social media feed us what we want to want to read. And it's very hard for us to read the opposite and think that something else could be, you know, true. Right. The, the, the second thing you said that, that I, I thought might be play right into that is, is, is when you made reference to the prophets and to even Jesus being critical, that's altogether different then what we think today when we're being critical, critical carries with it the connotation that I'm against you rather than I want to see the best out of you. Right. And, right. and I think that's, uh, that's a, another uh, mistake. So when you give the illustration that the people you've met who are Israelis and the people you've met that are Palestinians both want peace, to me, that's someone who gets, you, if someone can understand that we want the best for you and capture what the best is, you, you wouldn't hear opposing ideas as I'm against you. Right. You would so, hear, you would hear. Our, yeah, I, I, I yeah, it is. Yeah. But I think you would, hear, I think for us, I'm, I'm thinking really maybe from our perspective that yeah. then, then, then you could appreciate someone who could say, no, no, what you're really against is not us or them. You're against peace because the thing that would bring peace is not necessarily bound up in an us, them. Right. If you can say right. that make us Israel, we just want peace. Otherwise, we're always going to have conflict. It, it is it is that thing. I mean, you know, uh, you know, in a kind of a subplot here is is that you know, pastoring a church or or being involved in Christian relationships carries the same idea. If you're ever critical, then it's all oh, you're against me. It's ne- it's never received as no. I want the best for you. you right. Know? And I think right. so. So um, we don't. Prophet, we, yeah, go ahead. We don't want to be challenged, but that's what the prophets did. Yeah. I mean, that's there is. You know, so I, I spent my entire adult life studying things related to the Middle East and specifically to Israel, the history of ancient Israel, the history of medieval Israel. Um, when I was in college, I took a, a, several classes on you know the Middle East and the, and the conflict. I learned Hebrew from a rabbi. Uh, I was involved in a congregation of Christians that valued the Jewish teachings of Jesus and the Jewishness of the entire scriptures and our history as early Christians. Um, and without any, you know, it wasn't like a Jews for Jesus group. It was just a group that understood. I mean, there's a lot of things that come out of the Jewish culture that we can understand our own faith better. And so I felt like I knew a lot. And to go and be confronted with the situation where I have to admit and realize, you know, I, I do know some things, I, but there's a lot yet to learn and I need to be humble enough to be able to ask the question uh, of people who are involved there and people who are, who are living here in the U S both Jews and Palestinians here in the U S 
whose families and lives are affected by this. Um, what is it that you want? Um, and, you know, what roles can we play? Yeah. Uh, I find myself in terms of that, though it's difficult because for me, you know, when you find out you didn't know something, uh, for me, there's this thing of I want to let everybody know. I want to let you know this other side that I've seen because it feels like we've heard the Israeli side. Right. And so I think I may play real. I know I play real strongly into saying, uh, Hey, let's, here's the, there's the Palestinian side to the story that, uh, you know, in 1948, what was the Israeli war for independence where they, you know, from their perspective, they're attacked by the Arab nations and so forth and so on. Um, when you hear the Palestinian story, and there's, you know, there's history to back this up, data to back this up. They call it the Nakba, the catastrophe, where a quarter of a million to half a million people are displaced, where there's massacres taking place uh, by those who would be Israelis against Palestinians. Those are real situations that I feel like, okay, if we're going to really approach this as Americans, as American Christians, with some sense of real knowledge and not just ideology, we have to be able to hear both sides of that because like it or not, I have a friend who's a rabbi who's like, I don't know why you Christians really have to have a comment on what's happening in Israel. Like I don't go around talking about what's happening in Scotland, that kind of a thing. <laughs> but here, but there's, the reality is, is, you know, there are Christians who are in the middle of this conflict yeah. um, and that number is diminishing over time. And they're trying to figure out whether there's going to be a Christian identity in Israel, Palestine, uh, uh, an indigenous Christian identity. Um, and the other thing is our government gives money to these things and really overwhelmingly gives lots of money to Israel. So, so it, I, I already have a hand in this, even though it's so far away, but I, I do want to operate with a humble pursuit of knowledge. Um, and, it, and, and if I am making critique, I hope that I can convey it's really because I care about justice and I care about people uh, I hope, but, but you know, that's hard to navigate here at home. and certainly hard to navigate when you're talking about things overseas. Sometimes. Sure. And, and, and I, and I think there are a couple of, <clears throat> a couple of ways to kind of get a, a little bit at that, uh, heart that, that you're wanting to convey. And, and, and there's one, um, when you are describing, uh, your travels and that trip in 2013, and then uh, I believe you've made a trip every year, probably, or close mm-hmm. to it since yeah. then. And, and, when we were talking before, there's a distinction between um, going as a tourist and yeah. going uh, in, in, a, in a way that puts you in proximity and contact with those who are actually living out. Because, you know, uh, uh, I grew up, my pastor always took groups to Israel. I mean, it's in the the 70s. uh, That's what I remember. Brother Justice was always taking, you know, groups to Israel. And, you know, I've got friends today who pastor and take their churches. Uh, you know, one day I'm, I'm hopefully going to go. But, but you've intrigued me because, uh, to me, uh, a tour uh, anesthetizes the events and almost tries to lift out this idea that there's this prist- these pristinated areas that have been uh, preserved from... Uh, and removed from any sense or, or, or point of conflict. And you're, it's, it's almost museum like to me, you know, we're going to go here and, 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 and then to hear you describe 
you know, the places you stay, the people you interact with, the conflicts that you've witnessed and, and the conversations you've had, to me, that, that kind of is, 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 a, is a good um, picture for part of the problem we have because most of us are tourists with this instead yeah. of like taking someone's experience. And again, this is, this is generally how we live our lives. We tour through Facebook, catching up what we think about somebody, yeah. but we've never really had a, had a meal to see, you know, do they chew with their mouth open? Do they slurp their drink? Uh, you know, they put too yeah. much salt on their food. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So to, to me, I, I think you, I think you could emphasize or maybe highlight kind of some of those differences. I think you made a comment that, um, uh, there, there are some who have the opinion that that we like Christians, the tourist oh, yeah. types. Yeah, yeah. The, so, I don't know how this happened. I mean, I, I I lucked into it. So this that trip that I went on, that I went to the conference, like I'd said earlier, I wanted to stay longer because there's things I wanted to see. I didn't want to take a trip over there. Who knew when I would get back? Is kind of my thought. And so I had a friend come who joined me, uh, who's an American but who lives in Albania. And I just happened to have a, a friend whose cousin-in-law was an Israeli. And this person, his name is Yochanan. He lives in Jerusalem, uh, used to live in America and lives in Israel. He was like, yeah, come, come and stay with me, you know, stay. And so uh, we stayed at a guest house, but he was kind of our host with us and driving us around and walking us around every day. Uh, and so me and my friend, Robert, uh, we experienced our first trip to Israel was not with the tour group. So when Yochanan wasn't leading us around and we wanted to go see something, we would just take public transportation, the bus or the train. So like going to Masada, we didn't go on a tour bus. We rode the public Palestinian bus to Masada, the Israeli bus to Masada. And uh, that, you know, there was a point where we were laying in our room one night and it was at night and we're both laying there. We're both kind of quiet. And I said to Robert, I said, man, we're in Jerusalem and we're in our rooms. Like something seems wrong about that. Let's go do something. He goes, what do you want to do? I said, let's go to the Mount of Olives. And it's the middle of the night. And we had to walk across and go across the old city and go up and down. And so we, uh, we called our friend Yochanan. Hey, we're thinking about going to the Mount of Olives. Do you think there's any problem with that? Because the Mount of Olives is in the Palestinian side of town. And there's some acts of, you know, there some clashes that take place there. And he was like, do not go. If you go to the Mount of Olives, you will be attacked. You will be stoned. It is not safe. Do not go. So we got off the phone with him, and Robert and I looked at each other and said, let's go. (laughs) And so, you know, here we are. We're walking in the middle of the night. We go up to the Mount of Olives, and no one is there. It's empty. It's the We get there right after dark. It's the last call to prayer, and we hear that going on, and the church bells went off, and and we stayed up on the Mount of Olives. You know, some police cars drove through, but we never, it was fantastic. Um, that trip shaped me. And so every trip that I've done since then, I don't ever want to go to with a tour group. That's the hard part. Like, I, I just want to go so that uh, when my daughter turned 16, I was able to take her. She and I went. We stayed with a friend in Beit Jala, which is in the West Bank, which is by Bethlehem. And so we experienced, you know, we, most of the time that we were there, we lived in the West Bank experiencing Arab and Palestinian hospitality from Muslims and and Christians. And we rode public transportation. We rented a car for three or four days and drove around, got lost. We had all of those experiences. And I don't know how anybody could go and not have those experiences because that's the way 
you know, I didn't tell my wife this until we got back, but my daughter and I, we picked up hitchhikers the whole time in our rental car. Um, Israeli hitchhikers and Palestinian, you know, uh, German hitchhikers who were hippies. And we just, we wanted to know, tell us about this place. Tell us your story. Uh, and that, I don't know that I've seen tour groups. I've been side by side with tour groups, hearing what tour guides who are usually Israelis are telling them. And it's not what's really happening in front of them. And if they would just have conversations with the people there, they would experience the real life, non-politicized uh, uh, in the sense of one narrow political view and a non-sanitized version of things. You know, you, uh, with the tour group, most tour groups, when they go to the Sea of Galilee, they take a, tour, a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee and they'll play the Israeli national anthem. And then they'll raise the American flag and play the American national. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. all the time. So you're on the Sea of Galilee talking about Jesus and you're doing this, you know, like I, with the song about America somehow. Right. Wow. Um, that's not the same as going to the traditional place of the Mount of Olives and not going to the tourist spot, but going out in the pasture next door and just sitting there and taking in the sea of Galilee or in, in terms of I'm finally getting to your question, but Haley and I were in this guest house in uh, there used to be an orphanage in Nazareth. And the first night, nobody was there but us, which was pretty amazing in itself. But the next night, a tour group came through. And so there was this big dining hall, and the tour group was here. And they had an, a, an American pastor who was leading the group and then an Israeli tour guide. Well, they set the bus driver with Haley and I. We kind of had this little nook where we ate breakfast, and they set the bus driver there. And so we start having a conversation. And I say, so, you know, we introduce ourselves. And his name was Isa, which is Jesus in Arabic. Mm -hmm. And so I just made the assumption. I said, so, I said, are you a Christian? He says, yes. And he says, I'm from East Jerusalem. So he's a, a Palestinian who lives in the east part of Jerusalem. And people, it's what something Americans don't know. East Jerusalem was taken in 1967 by Israel. You're talking about, you know, half of uh, Jerusalem or a, about a third of Jerusalem's population. They don't, they can't vote. They are not citizens of any country. They are not citizens of the local town. They have no representation in their government at all. They can apply to become Israeli citizens, but most of those are rejected. Mm. If they make any modifications to their houses that are, you know, like changing a roof or something, they have to apply for permits, which they very rarely get. And if they make those changes, Israel has the right to come in and demolish their whole house, whole house, and wow. charge and charge them for it. It's a no. I mean, it's not. It's not a democracy. I'll say for right. East Jerusalem Christians. So this guy's from East Jerusalem. His name is Isa. He's a Christian. And um, the elections were happening that week, and the Likud party was being reelected because they vote for parties, not for individuals. But that basically meant Netanyahu was being reelected. And Netanyahu had made all these speeches to Americans. Israel is the most friendly country for Christians, you know, in the Middle East. And so with Isa there, um, we had this conversation. This is something you'll hear from Palestinian Christians over and over and over. He said, you know, I'm thinking of moving away. And I said, why? He said, well, because of the occupation, because my family has no future here. My daughters will grow up and they won't have any choices. And he says, I have an engineering degree, but I'm driving a bus and I don't want my kids to have that kind of life. And I made kind of a sarcastic comment. I said, but Netanyahu says that Israel loves Christians. And he laughs and he says, and he points to the tour group, you know, he says, 
ah, yeah, Netanyahu loves Christians. As long as you're only coming here as tourists and spending your money. But he doesn't love us. And, uh, and then he came, we got in this conversation. He says, you know, our question for you American Christians is, is you spend all this money. You come here, you go on these tours, and you visit our churches. Some of them you visit when they're empty, even though they're still being used by worshipers on non-tour group times. But you don't worship with us, and you don't eat with us, and you don't hear our, our stories. Mm-hmm. Like you come here, and you don't see us, and you're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is a, a consistent story that Palestinian Christians, and they, it, it's very painful for them. Sure. Like what, what is it about us? And I think the truth is, is we don't, we don't think that they're really, my honest feeling based upon lots of conversations with people who from here in the U.S., is I don't think we really think that they are Christians. Hmm. Uh, so on that same trip, my daughter and I, we drove down to Masada and we ran into these American football coaches and, you know, they're from like the South and they're very stereotypical in some ways. And that was, it was a strange day because it was raining at Masada and there weren't very many people there. It's very rarely happens. And, but we rode up this gondola to the top of Masada together and, and I'm finding out why they're there and they're there to help Israel develop football and that kind of thing. And, and we got into the conversation about the Christians and I said, you know, it's pretty sad with all of them. So many of them moving away. And one of these guys says, oh, yeah, it's terrible. You know, groups like ISIS, Christians can't, you know, the Muslims are running the Christians out. And I said, well, I said, the Christians here, if you ask them why they're leaving, they're going to say occupation. It's not about Israeli occupation. It's Israeli occupation. It's not about Muslims. And it was interesting. This guy just completely shifted from being like, yeah, we want to support Middle Eastern Christians to well, that's just a sign that blood is thicker than water. You know, they don't really realize they're not really believe. I mean, he went to, they're not really believers. Oh, wow. And I'm talking the people that I know who I've come to know these Palestinian Christians, those guys like Alex Awad with Bethlehem Bible college, my friend, I mean, we can just go through a list of people, uh, man, they are for real Christians. Wow. They are followers of Jesus who have chosen the way of peace, even when they've been experiencing unreal violence and oppression upon themselves. Mm. They, they choose peace on a daily basis and, and encourage others to pursue peace. Um, yeah. So uh, those kind of personal stories, when you're hearing it from people, uh, you know, we were talking the other night and there, so I, you know, I'm leaning into that Palestinian side, but the other side too is, you know, going to the Holocaust Memorial and talking to, Holocaust survivors mm-hmm. or talking, you know, it's, you can go to Jerusalem and be standing at a bus station and look up and see a plaque from the second Intifada, which was incredibly violent, you know, 1500 or so Israelis died, 4,000 plus Palestinians died. It was, it was the kind of thing where buses full of people were blowing up um, with suicide bombers. And you can stand at a bus station. There'll be a plaque. Here's where 15 people died. So there's a lot of suffering on both sides and those tour groups, even when they're telling the, the Jewish side of that suffering, they're not really getting to the core, I think, of what Israeli society feels and how they mm-hmm. struggle with that struggling, mm-hmm. struggle themselves. But, you know, I think when you, uh, you know, help us kind of get that picture, um, it, it immediately, I would think, move us to the second thing that I picked up. And that is when we start talking about uh, 
two groups of people who really want peace. And then we Christians try to locate uh, conflict and, and um, a, a sense of what uh, the Jewishness of, or the Jewish picture of peace in, in the Old Testament, for instance. Mm. And we were talking about the word justice and, 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 yeah. you know, what that communicates and how maybe we don't really fully grasp exactly what's being communicated when we read those texts. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, th- I think I mentioned that, that um, for, for, for me, one of the big challenges uh, uh, pastoring it is, is when, when you hear a news story where the the byline is justice was served and you know that that that's a, a bit of an americanization of a form of justice right that when it gets then picked up and brought into the church and we think we use the word justice we have completely missed yeah. uh, and so maybe you could you could kind of work through a little bit of that with us so we could think really when we're talking justice there, you know, there, there are multiple ways to look at it and, and retribution isn't the only way to look at justice. Yeah. I was, I would say that from a, from a Hebrew and even an Arabic perspective of justice, um, there's certainly, uh, there are certainly uh, approaches that are retributive in nature, but the core of the idea of justice. So the Hebrew word for justice is tzedakah, and like, it doesn't have to do with retribution, like payback. It has to do with making things right. And that often means that those who were wronged have to make compromises. They're not going to get, they can't get that person's life replaced. That's not possible. And the person who did the wrong is going to have to make some kind of payment. But the end result is we want to make it to where there's not this long cycle of retribution. And in the Middle East, uh, in Arab culture, which I think is a lot like biblical culture, uh, they don't go to the police and they don't go to judges. They go to respected people in the community when someone has done a wrong and they engage in this process of negotiating it out. Kind of like in Isaiah, come let us reason together, right? Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll make them white. I'm going to make this thing right. Um, So tzedakah is about uh, rightness. You know, it, it gets translated you know, it comes in through the Greek into the New Testament through Kaiosune, and uh, it becomes righteousness. So me and a group of people are studying Matthew right now. We just happen to be on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Really, it's, it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, those who hunger and thirst for things to be made right. Mm-hmm. And blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice. Um, God wants to make wholeness, and he wants to make shalom. He wants to make peace. And his judgment, his mishpat, when he judges, is more like those Middle Eastern judges where it's a negotiation. It's not about meting out punishment. Um, and it, it does mean compromise on both sides. Um, you know, but that, that Hebrew concept of justice, I really wish we could grasp as Christians. It's funny that Christians who believe in this favor favorable forgiveness from God. Um, we still want, we, you know, we want to, we want to see people be punished. Um, if you go to a synagogue or a temple, there's somewhere in there, they're going to have a box. that's going to be called a tzedakah box. And what it is, is it's a charity box. Mm. It's the, it's where you put your donations to make things right for people that things haven't been right for mm-hmm. so that word tzedakah. There, there it is that, that mm-hmm. aligning. 
Um, and if it means that our community can have wholeness, if we were, if I was judging a case, if I said, you know, um, uh, Abraham, are you willing to forgive this man of this crime that he did so that our whole community can have peace? I'm, I'm begging upon your honor. That's biblical justice. Right. And Abraham would actually have some kind of shame if he said, no, 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 this man must be fully punished. There's going to be this give and take. And what, you know, what we need here, we need it all over the world. People sure. of Jesus should be that kind of justice, that kind of right-making people. Um, when you're in a place like Israel and Palestine, man, you really see people who are hungering and thirsting for justice. They want this wholeness, but they, because of their views they and their experiences, they can't get past those um, to really see each other. What I really feel like, and this is pretty naive, but I'm a Christian, so I believe that breaking bread is really important. Right. That we remember right. something right. in the breaking of right. bread. Right, right. Um, it's like, I feel like my friends on both sides of this issue, if they could sit down and have a series of meals together where they could see each other as people, uh, that's maybe where that tzedakah, that justice begins to take place, that shalom begins to take place on some level. But I think we as Christians, you know, uh, here in America, American Christians, uh, like, like I was saying earlier, we support our government. Who support, we, we have a role to play. Yeah. And I think we have uh, some sort of obligation to, to become knowledgeable about this situation and work for peace yeah. uh, in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you start talking about breaking bread and associating that with, with justice, with, with sitting down, you know, it, it again draws to mind the difference between touring and, and, um, being received. So mm-hmm. when you were traveling uh, and you were staying in people's homes and, and you were getting to know the bus driver and you were, you know, those are the, you're being received. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and that's also uh, a poignant theme when we want to talk about justice and righteousness there in back of that, it seems that there, there has to be this, you know, better grasp of hospitality. Yeah. And, and it's not that it's not that, you know, you wouldn't welcome people into your home and I wouldn't welcome to people in my home. We, you know, we talked about, you know, there is, there is something about, you know, Southern hospitality that does creep up and influence what goes on here in in Oklahoma even, but it's a different sort of thing. Um, When, when uh, uh, my friend uh, who worked with a, a mission organization and then he got let go and he decided you know, I just, I, I love that place. I love those people. I've got to go back. And so would find his own support to go back and, and take Bibles and, 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 and bear witness to Jesus. You know, he um, spent a lot of time with Bedouins. And so he said he learned what hospitality, hospitality really looked like. And this is an Oki, right. you know, so yeah. someone who yeah. understands the Southern sort of quote charm, here is a guy, you know, half a world away saying, now I get hospitality. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you experienced that. Yeah. I, and it's hard to describe to people because especially if you're from the South, you think you get hospitality. You think you have a sense of that. Uh, being over there, and I would say that the people who are from the Middle East who live here, my friends who are here, uh, my daughter works at a restaurant that's owned by uh, people from the Middle East some friends of ours that are Palestinian. And the kind of hospitality they have, it takes it to a whole other other level, you can run into, like when you're in the Holy Land or in Jordan, 
anywhere, probably in the Middle East, you can run into people, have a five minute conversation. And before you know it, they're inviting you to their house to have tea. Uh, when you go to eat at someone's house, they're going to start grilling food and they're going to keep filling your plate until you are done. And that's spur of the moment, like unplanned. Uh, it's just going to be that kind of thing. A friend of mine, uh, even the most gruff people have this kind of radical hospitality. So on one of the trips that we went on, this was also the trip that my daughter and I went on. There's this place near the Jaffa Gate where we love to get falafel and it's just fantastic. But there were these guys that were always on their phones and my daughter and I would make this, we had this kind of ongoing joke because we ate there almost every day that these guys are in the mafia. They look like they're in the mafia. And so the, one of the other trips that I went on, I was able to go with a friend who is this fantastic oud player. He's a, he's a, he's an American. He's an Okie actually, but he plays Middle Eastern music. His name's Callan Clark. And anywhere he went and played, it just opened up all kinds of doors for us. But we flew in. We got into Tel Aviv late at night. We got into Jerusalem late at night. Got checked into our hotel. We wanted to get something to eat. And he said, you know, should I take my oud? And I said, yeah, let's go down. And we get down there and there's these guys. It's, it's the guys that are the mafia guys, right? And he's got the oud. He's not even playing. And the guy sees the oud. He's like, you play the oud. He's got this deep voice. You play the oud, you know? And yeah. And, and uh, he's like, you know, he's not an old guy. He just has this deep voice. And he says, I'm Michelle. You know, I'm, I'm the prince of Jaffa Gate, that kind of thing. And those guys, before we knew it, man, we were, we were drinking all kinds of stuff. And they were giving us all kinds of food and joking. And we stayed with them until, I mean, we probably started about 11 o'clock at night. We stayed with them until about 2 o'clock in the morning, I think. And all the rest of the week, anything you need, you let us know, that kind of thing. Um, so in the middle of the night with guys, oh, and by the way, Michelle, he and I are, my friend's playing, and he and I are talking. And I say, Michelle, what do you do? This is so funny because he leans over to me. He goes, I'm in the mafia, man. <laughs> the guy that... <laughs> The guy that Haley and I, I mean, the first thing I did, you know, because it was the next day during the middle of the night, I texted my daughter. I said, he is in the mafia. <laughs> um, but I, they open their doors and they open their doors to uh, people that they like and they open their doors to people that they don't like in, in that Middle Eastern culture. Now, Israel itself, because, you know, Israel's mixed. You've got these Mizrahi, these Middle Eastern uh, Jews who are part of that culture, that hospitality culture. And then you've got uh, the Ashkenaz culture, especially post-Holocaust, which is European. It's a little bit more closed off. So it depends yeah. on where you're at in Israel, what kind of hospitality you might yeah. receive from that side. But in general, uh, it's a very welcoming place. And it's if I would say to anybody who's listening, first of all, I'd say to anybody who's listening, you can do a trip to Israel on your own. I know that sounds crazy, but you can do it. Do a little bit of research. It's going to be a lot cheaper if you don't do a tour group uh, and it's okay to ask questions and you can experience a different kind of trip and you're going to experience a lot of welcoming people uh, who, are, who are going to help you have, uh, you know, a great trip. I know that, that sounds super intimidating to a lot of people, but I think once you're like two days in, it wouldn't be that intimidating. I don't think. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, if you were, if you were going to um, point, uh, listeners to some resources to read you you know you you described be you described going from a a book to being there so you you when you made that transition and you realized maybe christian zionism isn't really kind of the way i start studying and reading and and i get kind of some of that perspective and then i go 
what are some things that might be um, helpful um, th- yeah. that you could suggest? <clears throat> uh, well, uh, there's one thing that's going to be coming up actually. Uh, so I'm going to do a little ad here for a second. Uh, I didn't, I didn't even think about this till we were just talking, but uh, I'm a part of a group that's going to help an event take place here in Oklahoma in Oklahoma city in the fall of 2018. So this fall, uh, it, it's called, it's Christ at the Checkpoint USA. Um, and the, a lot of the Palestinians from Bethlehem Bible College and other places are going to come. And at this event, realizing that most people can't take trips to the Holy Land, they, it's going to be an event where they're going to present kind of the Palestinian Christian side of things. Uh, and churches and individuals are welcome to come to that. Um, and so that's one opportunity for people who are here close and who want to go to that event. Um, as far as resources in general, um, Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur is it like a personal story of Father Elias Shakur um, from his childhood, what he experienced. He's an Israeli Arab and what their family experienced. He can remember the beginning of the state of Israel. Uh, Alex Awad uh, wrote a book called Palestinian Memories, which also tells his family story. Alex, his, his brothers with uh, Bushara Bashara and Mubarak Awad, who started Bethlehem Bible College. They are evangelical Palestinian Christians. Um, this family is known as kind of the, one of the brothers is known as like the Gandhi of the Palestinians because he's been so much a part of the peace movements. Hearing their, per, reading about their personal stories and that, and then Alex's book, he also kind of gives a historical perspective from a Palestinian side on the conflict. Now, what was the title uh, of that one? Uh, Palestinian Memories. Memories. Yeah. Um, anything by Isaac Munter, uh, Munter being M-U-N-T-H-E-R, who's uh, a pastor, a Palestinian pastor, that you can read will be good. It'd be easier just to maybe type his name into Amazon and see those works. Um, those are fantastic resources. And also uh, from kind of a, I think it's important to see the Israeli side because there's a big division in Israeli society that people here in America if only if you only hear from Netanyahu, you don't realize how divided Israeli society is about things. Um, and most Israelis don't realize, you know, they don't live in areas where they see the Palestinian side of things. So a lot of them aren't aware, but, but a lot of them are. And um, Ari Shavit uh, wrote a book called My Promised Land. And I would really highly recommend if people do audible books to listen to the audible version. Uh, an Israeli reads it and he captures the emotion of it. Uh, very well. Ari Shavit, by the way, has recently been accused. He's, it's been happened in the past, but it's happened again recently of being engaged in some, you know, kind of like people here in the United States, some of our leaders being engaged in some activities sexually. Mm. Uh, he's probably guilty of. Uh, so I, I hesitate to even recommend that, but his book feels like the conversations I've had with Israelis, mm. I would say. Mm. Um, so that's a good perspective from kind of an Israeli side of seeing that division from a Christian Perspective, if you want to see uh, a different theological biblical studies take, uh, any of the books written by Gary Burge um, on the topic are going to be fantastic. Um, he's at, uh, I'm not sure if he's still there. He was at Wheaton, and uh, he's, he knows the situation very well, lived in the Holy Land for a period of time in Lebanon, and he's, he's trying to shift perspectives on uh, how how can we reinterpret the Abrahamic covenant? Um, you know, 
there are, basically he's going to say there's other ways of seeing it than ways that say we have to always support Israel and whatever right. they do. Right. Um, and he does a great work. Um, mm. So he'd be a good guy to have on a podcast someday too, to talk okay. to kids. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, good, man. This is, uh, yeah. this has been, uh, this has been good. Yeah. And I certainly uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day and, and I cover because I, I do think, I mean, I, you know, I, we haven't, in any way exhausted, you know, what you could offer, but I think we've at least um, offered or presented an opportunity to think differently than maybe how we have. So, um, and and I know I'm particularly talking about uh, a particular evangelical strain of things, but I would be fairly certain that unless someone has intentionally done the hard work of, you know, looking into the circumstances, that has largely been the influence. I mean, frankly, it has had a chief influence on our foreign policy. So whether or not, you know, we want to um, challenge the myth of America as a Christian nation or not, the reality is that that particular vision uh, of Israel has had an influence on our conduct of foreign policy from nearly, well, at least since 1948. And I would say prior to that, because all that was already in the ether. You know, it was already yeah, right. it was already present. It just right. got an opportunity to get worked out on the ground. So, well, and I know we're wrapping. I mean, yeah, I would say that to people who are listening, uh, and this doesn't just apply to this issue. And I'm trying to learn this myself. That's what I was trying to say. With, I thought I knew, but I didn't really know until I went and had conversations. And there's still a lot for me to learn. I think we should all step back from a lot of issues and go. How much do I really know about that? Oh yeah. Where have I received my information? Who have I really talked to? Because I can be really opinionated about a lot of things, yeah. uh, but what do I know? Um, and, and you know, uh, relationships to me are the key in yeah. that, that politics uh, is best done when you're engaging people and not just ideas. Right. Uh, I would say. Um, yeah. 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 I thought, I thought about, you know, a couple of times that it, it would, it would have likely derail this, but I thought that, you know, what you were talking about, how you were describing things, even the journey of, of learning, um, it is a, is a universal. So when we talk about, you know, the way tribal conflicts get played out, even socially today in our own country, it does help us if we get to know people, it yeah. does help us. So, you know, we, we could, we could talk about, <clears throat> The, we, you know, we could have trailed off and as a, you know, parallel illustration, talk about how racism has reared its head in, in a period where a lot of people thought it was done, yeah. you know, and most of that yeah. comes from, I didn't know this or I didn't do, know that. Then we could have got, gone even more further in being in Oklahoma. We could have gone further into where are we getting our information and who's giving it to us when we find out that Oklahoma history textbooks excluded or called a called the uh, um, fires in Tulsa, Tulsa race riots, and they weren't anything but they weren't anything like a race riot. So, you know, when there are lots of parallels, so I think, I think you issue a good caution, you know, it is important to step back. And um, the minute we hear that there might be another side, it might be good rather than to uh, double down uh, on a position and say, okay, who do I know? Um, Who do I know? Otherwise, otherwise, we're going to be operating with a reality that uh, is less full and less accurate, uh, you know, um, in one day, here in the United States, here in Oklahoma City, in one day, I had this experience where 
me and a friend were, were doing something. And this lady says, she, she comes out of a restaurant and it's my friend who's playing oud and he's actually playing his oud outside. And she says, oh, this is a beautiful instrument. Is it Middle Eastern? So forth and so on. Yeah, it's an Arab instrument. So it kind of led to that. And she said, we talked about our trip to the Holy Land. She said, oh, it's just terrible, isn't it? How they, how they fight each other over there. We were like, well, yeah, it kind of is. And she made this comment, but you know, it's always been that way. The Jews and the Arabs have always hated each other. And my friend and I were both like, well, no, that's actually not, that's not, I mean, why would, we were trying to get this conversation, why would you say that? But that's a, a pretty common perspective. And then later, within 24 hours, Alex Awad was here in town and I was kind of hosting him and he wanted to eat Middle Eastern food because he'd been around the United States and he wanted to have food from home, so to speak. And so I called the imam here in town, imam in Chassi, and I said, hey, do you know of a good restaurant? It just happened to be, a, he recommended a Palestinian restaurant and and so while we're eating there, Imam and Chasi comes in and he buys our meal, you know, like I had no idea, but he buys our meal. And they sit down, they start talking, some in Arabic and some in English. But as they started talking in English, where's your family from? And Alex Awad says, Jaffa. And Imam and Chasi says, well, I was in the refugee camp in Lebanon, but my family was from Jaffa. He says, my father was such and such with the mosque in Jaffa. Maybe he was the Imam, maybe. And and Alex Awad says, well, which mosque? And he kind of describes the mosque. And he says, is it right next door to a church, to a Maronite church? And he says, yes. As a matter of fact, and Imam and Chasi is saying, as a matter of fact, the, the head of that church and my father were friends. And my father helped them build that church and so forth. And Alex says, that was my grandfather. Oh, wow. Like this thing where you realize here were these this Muslims and Christians before 48, before. Yeah. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. early 20th century. Right. There was this peace and harmony where these two churches, this church and this mosque shared a courtyard. Yes. And they helped each other. Yes. And I wish I'd had that story before the lady came by. Cause I said, let me tell you about a conversation that I just had with somebody, you know, Yeah, I went to uh, um, the, the two windows project did a uh, panel at Pum city high school. I want to say it was in November and they had a mod there yeah. and he told he told some of that story yeah. not about uh, not about a wad particularly right. but about that whole uh growing up experience uh in in the refugee camp and right. his relationship with christians and the influence i mean you know and if you've never heard that you do buy into you know the what i was told when i was a kid and I could right. trot it out here and ask on Sunday, how many think this has always been the way it was and hands that go up all over the room. Ever since know? Isaac and Ishmael, right? Exactly. 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 Yeah. So that, that becomes kind of the, the extrapolated narrative and, and until you sit down, you know, right. it, it is a different thing. It yeah. is a different thing. So, yeah. well, good, man. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. So we're, we're going to have to hang out now. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate all your time this week. As always, I want to thank you for listening. And uh, if you find the podcast helpful, uh, do us a favor and head over to iTunes and give us a a rating and a review. Reviews really help. Uh, And so uh, you do have to log in uh, to your account and leave a review. It takes a little bit for the review to show up. I think it has to go through moderators or whatnot. Uh, But at any rate, uh, help us out. Uh, share the podcast. Maybe you know a pastor or uh, lay folks who are really interested in the conversations around life, faith, and thinking theologically, and maybe this will be a help to them. 
I do have some guests coming up that uh, I think you'll find pretty interesting. Hoping to have uh, Kyle Roberts on about his new book soon. And uh, I'm going to invite my friend uh, Scott Curry back for his monthly segment as we uh, talk about uh, uh, thinking theologically as pastors uh, with the Old Testament. So until next time, this has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the past- pastor theologian. Peace.